couple of passages from the book of Acts, which was written by Luke. And so when you hear that we in Acts, that's the Luke saying, I was part of this journey as well. So you'll hear that in the second part of what we read together. And the first will come from chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll skip over to chapter 27, and we'll start with verse 18. And that screen is blinking, so I need a Bible. <laughs> Can I borrow your Bible? Otherwise, I'm going to be like, and then... Paul said, and then, and that won't work very well. So let's turn to Acts 13, um, and we'll read verses 1 through 3 together. No worries. The Bible is a good source of information, so we will open it up together. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, this begins in the church in Antioch. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and then Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And so Paul continues in this journey with various companions. And we're going to turn to chapter 27 to find out what happens on that part of the journey. So again, Luke is telling this story, and so when we get to this part of the story, Paul and his companions are on a ship. They're on the sea, and a storm is raging, and it's a terrible storm, and they don't think they're going to survive. So they decide to set out four anchors to stabilize the ship. It still wasn't looking so great for them, so they decided to prepare a lifeboat. And that's when Luke continues the story in verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Every now and then we have to punt, but that's okay as we make it through this. It's, you should be up here, you're going, because the screen is out. So uh, we carry on with the last part of Paul. When you, when you see the word Saul or Paul, we're talking about the same exact person. Uh, the scripture doesn't help because it switches between the, the guy over and over. Uh, but it's the same guy, Saul and Paul, unless you're in the Old Testament and that's Saul, King Saul. But in this one, it's the same guy in both places. And so we find ourselves uh, right here towards the end of the uh, missionary journeys that Paul went on. 
Uh, and he's actually after the third journey, and we'll get to that here in a minute as we look at, if you see on the screen, most of you, if you look in the back of your Bible, you'll have this map that'll lay out the different journeys that Paul went on. Because his whole idea was that Paul was, in order to follow Christ, Paul was setting out to, to share the gospel and creating these groups of people and calling them churches. And over time, he developed all these churches all across. Uh, if you look, you'll notice uh, where it says the journey, you see the end right there. That's the biggest area. And then he worked his way across the top up to Philippi, Thessalonica. And then those words that are there are often, if you notice in your Bible, there's the book that says Philippians, Philippi. Thessalonians, Thessalonica, those were the churches that he wrote to. He would go and visit them, and then he'd, somebody would call him on the phone and say, Paul, you're not going to believe what's happening. He goes, we got these two people over here, and they want to know who is more holy, the Jew guy or the Gentile person. And so Paul would write a letter and try to address that. And so his, a lot of his writings were addressing particular issues. So, but today I wanted to look a little bit about what it means and how do we answer that question of what does it look like to follow, to follow God. Uh, several years ago when uh, our kids were little, uh, Julie had a chance, my wife had a chance to go to Baltimore, Maryland to a big training that she was part of uh, in education. And on her way back, she landed at the airport in Lubbock and I met her, picked her up and we're on our way back. And I, I said to Julie, I said, I don't know much, but I'm telling you, the weather's fixing to get bad. You know, we didn't have cell phones with the map on them like you can see now. Uh, all we could depend on was Run for the Hill Ron Roberts from Lubbock, Texas. And he always talked about how bad it was. And I said, it's getting worse. And as we made our way to Leveland, which is 20 miles straight west of Lubbock, Julie said those famous words, I got to go to the bathroom. I said, now you, you need to know something. You need to make it quick. She goes, but I wanted a drink and I was going to get a candy bar. I said, I don't care what you do, but you got about three minutes because the storm is coming. We made our way out west of Leveland. You get out towards Whiteface. It's out about 10 miles. We were out about three or four miles and the snowflakes were huge. And the storm was coming out of the north. And if you, you've probably not been to that part of the state, but from Leveland to Morton, there's about three houses. And there's like not telephone pole. There's nothing out there. It's just, and so as we're driving, we got the kids in the car. You reach that point where you say, should I turn around and go back or should I keep going? Well, we kept going. I wasn't sure it was the right answer at the right, at the right time, but we understood what it was like to get out there and to be in a place uh, where we didn't have a clue what we were doing. That uh, the trail in a sense got cold on us. We, for a while, we could see the cars passing us, you know, and then eventually those stopped. And then you could see the car in front of you away up there, but eventually they would outrun you or you would try to catch up with them. And then eventually we reached this place where it's just a complete whiteout and we didn't really know what to do. Now I say that because in my mind, when we talk about following God, sometimes we can get to that place where we're we're just everything, you know, God is like, come on. And we're just right there. And then all of a sudden you're going, wait a minute, where did God go? Did, am I off on the wrong track? Did I go in the wrong direction? Where is God? And as I seek to try to follow God, am I really following God? Does that make sense at all? It's a question that plays over my mind all the time. Now, you should be a little scary. You should be a little afraid if the preacher can't even hear 
and follow God. But I'm telling you, it happens. You, you, you just think you're doing the right things. And sometimes you're like, oh, God, just, just say from heaven, this is what you should do. Well, when someone starts telling you that's what happens, you might ought to be a little nervous because God does communicate. But it seems like in the Old Testament, it was, in the, back in those days, it was a lot more go this way. But for some reason today, I struggle with this. Am I really, am I really following God? And you really deal with it if you ever have to make a staff change or you, or you have to, to make a personnel change and you're like, is this really the right thing? And, and, you, and your heart just goes over and over. And so I wanted to look at a little bit today about how Paul was seeking to follow God, how we can try to, how we follow, how we become deeply devoted disciples. And in that process, you know, I want to have 100% that I know I'm doing exactly what God is calling me. And for some people, you don't know that until you turn and look back and realize where you've come and where you've been. But that doesn't help going this way. Does that make sense at all? Seeking to try to follow and to, to do the right thing. So this morning's message is how do you know that we're following God? Do you just guess? How can you be certain that you're really following after God? Because we ask these questions. Questions like, is this just really me speaking in my head or is this God speaking into my head? You ever know somebody like that? Because you're like, I'm trying to listen, but I, I only hear this voice that sounds like my father. You know, it's that voice that's there. Don't do that. Well, is that God? You know? And so how do we know? How do we really know? For some people, they say, I prayed and I heard God speak. Well, I've had that. I feel like I've had that happen to me. But it doesn't happen every day. I wish it happened every day. I wish God would say, now I want you to drive down to sales, turn right, go into the parking lot, take your seatbelt off and go inside and get your cup of coffee. It doesn't happen like that. But I wish it did sometimes. But then again, I wonder if it really did happen like that, would I want to listen like that? You know, would I really want to follow God that closely? Sometimes I think it's like, the old Johnny Carson where he would take an envelope and hold it up to his, to right here. And then he would open and he goes, go save this person. You're following God. You know, just trying to get some answers to this understanding of how do we know? We've seen it on TV. We, we want to be like where Moses came down off the mountains with the Ten Commandments and handed them to him and said, this is from God. Or maybe we want to be more like the Blues Brothers. I'm getting old now when he said, I'm on a mission from God. You know, I wish it was that easy, but it's not. It doesn't come across like that. Following God, is it really God or is it just me? In our different culture today, in our context, everyone sitting here this morning has access to all the things that we have access to, all the literature, all the stuff. You can pull out your phone and in a matter of seconds, you can read everything about the text today that I can read used to not be like that. You used to get fool people because they didn't have the stuff. But now they have the stuff and you got to really tell them the truth all the time. It's kind of a new concept we've got going on. How do you, how do you follow that all the time? Because people are fact-checking you all the time. No, there was really only four animals, not five, you know. So it happened in my first church when I talked about Noah and the burning bush. You know, and the lady's like, it wasn't Noah. I go, ah, oh, I didn't catch that. But but you have all the stuff we have. It's, so how do we know? 
It's a journey one step at a time. It's a, it's a journey that can be very complicated. I always wanted and I always wondered what it was like to hear directly from God. I, I want God to just say, hey, go do this. For some reason in my life, it doesn't happen like that. In fact, it happens more like my third grade English teacher, Mrs. Berry, who in a quiet, subtle voice, you know, when I would mess up, she would put her arm around me and she says, come here, come here. And I, she goes, I know you did something wrong. Yes. God still loves you. I was like, are you sure about that? You need to go read. Yes. She said, I'm sure because your brother, he loves too. God still loves you. And I, and I heard more of that in trying to follow God than any, you know. And so I, I, I lean towards that, you know, that, that there are people who speak into our lives who help us down this trek of following God. I wanted to hear from God just like Paul and Abraham and Isaac. And apparently there are other people who want to hear from God, Jim or Barbara or Sue or Johnny or Margaret or Drew or Walter, wanting to hear and wanting to follow God. But sometimes we have these competing voices. Sometimes we have these friends who know everything and their advice isn't worth the dime that you gave them for the coffee. And Paul was still the voice of Stephen fresh in his ears who he had helped. He had these competing voices. Friends who helped him in Damascus and in Syria. And just like Paul, we often can get confused and go in the wrong direction. We can lose confidence in what we feel like God is doing in our lives as we take steps in our faith. But sometimes even God speaks and we still don't listen. But to no avail... There are other times when we discover that God is with us, but it's in the middle of a storm. We, the song we just sang talked about the storms. There's storms that happen. Paul was following God. He, there are three journeys that are listed in the Bible. Uh, the first one, is Paul, Paul's first journey, as you look at the map, the first one is in Acts chapter 13 and 14. The second journey is in Acts chapter 15 through 18. And then the third journey is Acts 18 through 20, as Paul set out to plant churches all across Asia Minor and sought to follow what God was doing in his life. And most scholars agree that his road and his trip to Rome, which is where we find ourselves today, was somewhat part of what they would call a fourth journey, even though it's not listed, even though it doesn't say his fourth journey was this, but he was on another journey headed to Rome. And that's where we find ourselves today. But why do they see, why do we see him following God to Rome? Would you believe that Rome was not his final destination? Rome is not where he was headed. When, when he got in trouble and he said, I'm a Roman citizen, take me to Rome. I have a demand to have a trial before the Romans. And we find ourselves here on this ship. It, Paul's final destination was a little further. It was a little further than Rome. In fact, if you, you can see kind of the boot hill of Italy. And if you go up further, there's another country up there that speaks Spanish. Any idea what country that would be? Spain. That was Paul's ultimate destination. Because he understood that if he spread the gospel to the entire world, which he saw Spain as the end of the world, that well, guess what would happen if everybody knows? What we all want, Christ would return. That was Paul's goal. 
And all of Paul's writings, he's headed to Spain, though he ends up in Rome on this trip because it's that much closer to Spain. And the parousia, the Greek word for a second coming, would happen. That this would trigger the second coming and all of us would go back to glory and we wouldn't have to worry about all these aches and pains that we have. And so that's where we find Paul today trying to get to Spain. But following can be very complicated. We see it in the Old Testament. They followed because they had a cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire at night. And it was pretty easy. Just follow. We see in the New Testament where Jesus said to the disciples, come and do what? Come and follow. Come and follow me. But the Jewish faith, the, the thing we don't understand about the following part is that if you were a Jewish boy, up until age five, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five of those. And I wondered, did they start when he was one year old? Okay, you're one today. You're going to start with Genesis. So get out your book and we're going to memorize it in the beginning. And here they go. And by the time they were five years old, they would have memorized the entire first five books. That's a lot. I mean, I, I don't think I had my kids. They can't even memorize their phone number by the time they were five years old. But then from age five to age 13, they kept learning, if I understand correctly. And eventually they have this thing called a bar mitzvah where they would begin to learn more stuff. And it was one of those processes whereby if you, if you got to a point where you couldn't do it, you got kicked out of the program. But if you stayed in it all the way to the end, you became a rabbi. This was their training for rabbis. So we thought we could have this same training at church. Up until kindergarten, you got to memorize Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And then in first grade, we'll do Romans and we'll just help them along. It doesn't work like that. And, and so then eventually when they get to age 17 to 20, they begin to think about, am I going to be a rabbi? When we finish today, one of the things we say is, and may I follow in the dust of the rabbi. Do you know why we say that? Because people are trying to follow Christ, right? <clears throat> the original setup was like this. They would find someone who was very smart, and they, the rabbi would go to them and say, you've done all the stuff. Would you like to be one of my followers? And they would plead to the rabbi, and eventually the rabbi would say, okay, out of you ten, this one person I'm going to pick, and they're going to be one of my followers. But Jesus turned that completely upside down. Him... Did you see what he did when he went to the disciples? It wasn't because they were the smartest or the brightest or the best looking. And he went to them and said, come and follow. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers. It, it turned that whole system upside down on its head. Whereby before you were selected. But this time you were called by Jesus Christ to come and follow. So what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with this idea that we are called to follow? Jesus saw the potential. We oftentimes don't see what God sees in us. We oftentimes can only see this little bit of nothing and God says, but wait a minute. I see so much more. We often see so little, but God says, no, you don't see what I see because I see potential. 
You may see yourself as this kid who just barely got out of high school. But I see this kid who can now go to seminary and this kid who now can lead a church. And we say, are you kidding? God sees the potential that none of us have ever seen in ourselves. I would guess. That's the way I feel. Maybe you feel the same way sometimes. Oh, I would love to think that I have all the confidence in the world and I knew I could do all these things. But I know what it's like to take a small step and go, okay, I did that. Let me try a little bit more. And then you look down and you're like two miles down the road and it's still snowing. But here's the thing. God comes to us in our storms. As we follow close to the master, we discover that storms happen. As we try to follow and discover we discover that the storms are all around us. It happens. It happened to Paul. It happens to us. Paul finds himself in a storm on the ship. And Jesus walks into the storm on a lake with the disciples the same way that God walked into the storm in the boat. They had already got the lifeboats ready. And they were ready. And Paul, seeking God, found himself in this storm trying to be a disciple, trying to do the right thing, trying to follow, and storm clouds gather. And the scripture says there was no sun and no stars and there was no hope, no hope at all. And 276 people were ready to lose their life and the storm raged on. And they did what all people would do. They clung to the familiar. As Amy talked about earlier, they threw out they threw out the sea anchors. Now, I'm not a sailor, but David Wallace, Dr. David Wallace, loves to sail, and he helped me understand what a sea anchor is. He, he said it looks kind of like a, maybe a triangle-shaped uh, piece of material that can catch water, and you throw it off of each side, and so as the boat does this, it's dragging along. Because he said the thing is you don't want to anchor to the ground because then the storm would just completely destroy the ship. And so in this place, they threw out their sea anchors so that they'd have some flexibility as they lived in this storm, little by little. And as David shared that with his, his staff, it was pretty powerful. As we follow God in these storms, we often want to move back to that which is familiar. Think about the last time you were in a storm. You're either just leaving a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you got one that's on the horizon but as age comes by, little by little, storms are going to happen. It's a fact of life. If you've never been in a storm, you haven't lived very long because storms are going to happen. Plain and simple. Think you're going to wake up and things have happened. For us, just in the last week with Emily getting sick, seven blood clots in her lungs. A 23-year-old kid, that's not supposed to happen. And all of a sudden, we're like, wow. And storms happen faster than we ever could have imagined. But we want, we want to move to the familiar. The scripture literally says they put the ropes around the bottom of the boat and battened down the hatches to hold it tight because they knew they could just hang on. When my mother was in the last stages of her life, she had an operation. They were going to operate on, I believe it was her, her liver, her kidney. And the doctor said to us, he said, y'all just go sit in the waiting room. It's about a three-hour surgery. When we're done, I'll come out. He said, I'm the leading surgeon in all of Houston and South Texas. If something can be done, I can fix it. Man, that's the guy I want. That's the surgeon I want. There were two or three of them. It was a team of them. 
It was him and two other ladies that were doctors, and they were going to, 30 minutes into the surgery, they come and get us. <clears throat> I don't know much about surgery. Never operated on anybody, and you sure don't want me to start now. But I did know that that's not good. And they put us in this room. I love it. On the, on the outside, it says consultation. And it's about three feet by three feet. It says little bitty room. And he just says, I couldn't do anything. And so we're like, but you know what the very first thing we did was we clung to the familiar. We got in a circle, my brother and my sister, and we just hugged each other. And I said, my mother's passing, but we have each other. And we always want to do that when we get in a storm. I don't know, but I do. I want to cling to that which is familiar and hang on. And then it says, not only did they cling to the familiar, they lowered their sea anchors and they gave up all hope. But God was still in charge of the storm. Paul stands up and says, do not be afraid. There's hope because God finds us in our storms. In our storms, we resort to the familiar, but God is still in charge. I wish it was that simple. Do you know what Paul often thought in these places? That if you're going to be a Christian, you should follow Jesus and be like Jesus. But what do you do with your pride? What do you do with your own agenda? What, what do you do with your own attitude or your selfishness? What do you do with your calendar that's on your phone? Do you mark every seven days and put in a reminder, 11 a.m., what happens? What do you do with that? To be like Jesus would mean that we love out of our hearts. We care out of compassion. We give out of generosity and we serve out of duty to be like Christ. And Paul said, I'm not there either. I'm not there yet, but I press on towards that goal. I'm trying to figure it out. Now, I know Paul is unusual. You may never meet someone like him who followed after Christ so seriously. But every now and then, somebody does take Jesus that serious. In fact, as Fred Craddock said in one of his sermons, I thought it might be you. But God is leading and directing. And the single most difficult task is we don't have all the answers. And we have to relinquish our grip because we want to hold on. Because it's familiar and we want to hold on to the vessel and not allow it. But we have to go with the flow because when we fight in the storm, the vessel crashes around us. It's hard to trust God in a storm. Whether it's a broken heart, a broken relationship, or a broken bone. It's hard to trust the unfamiliar. But we have to become more familiar. It's hard to trust as we seek to follow God. Trusting God in the storms that come our way. Someone said, I wish I could give you all the answers, but I can't. I only know who I'm following. I can encourage you to let down your sea anchors and hold on and take courage. But the very thing we do sometimes doesn't make sense because God said, my ways are not your ways. But here's the challenge for all of us. Here's the challenge when we're in those storms. First of all, name the storm. Look around you and recognize what's going on and put a name on that storm so that you realize this is my current reality. This is what's happening right now. Name your storms. Recognition is the first step. 
while we are seeking to be disciples, storms happen. Whether it's death of a relationship, death of a family member, whether it's an accident or long days that we struggle with, storms happen. Name your storm. Secondly, look for some messengers in the storm. For those 276 people on the boat, the messenger was Paul as he stood up and said, take courage. But I want to encourage you to look for some messengers in your life. Listen to what, listen to what Dr. Craddock said in his sermon. He says, it goes like this. He said, look around you. Look at the person on your left and the person on your right. Do you notice anything unusual about that person? Of course you do. When God created everything else, dogs, cats, and squirrels, he looked at it and said, now that is good. But when God made the people beside you and around you and across the aisle from you, he looked at them and looked at those people and said, these are messengers. God said, this is my own image, my own likeness. Have you ever noticed that? That other people are made in the image of God. You can see it too when you look in the mirror at yourself, surrounded by mass messengers. But no one has ever really seen God. But there was a man who dwelt among us, so transparent, so loving, that many looked at Christ and said they saw God. Is that enough? If you're looking for a final proof, we don't have any. We can only speak of what we have seen and what we have heard about Jesus of Nazareth. And he said these words, come follow me. Come follow me. We made it home that night in the storm. Some 50 years before we traveled that road, some ranchers or farmers had put fence posts down on each side. And somehow or another, we caught up with one of the cars and we followed behind it for about 10 or 12 miles in a storm that we never thought we would get out of. And it was in that following that we began to understand that, you know, we're really not in charge, are we? And we hear that message that Christ echoes in our lives. Come, follow me. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Eternal God, as we prepare for communion, it's a step that we take to follow after you. It's a step that we take to understand more about who we are in you. And that for those this morning who are in a storm, may this be a place and a time where they can experience you. Where you can put your arm around them and say, we're going to get through this. Take courage, for I am with you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.